Welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. This is a podcast intended to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm host Ben James, and every week I lead you through the lessons in a way that is intended to help you better understand the scriptures, make you think about important questions, and strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. You can also find the video version of these lessons on my YouTube channel, titled 29th Floor Sunday School. If you find these lessons useful, please consider becoming a subscriber. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. Glad you can join me as together we study the Come Follow Me lesson for November 9th through 15th. And this week we will be discussing the first through fifth chapters of the book of Ether. Well, those of you that are watching, you can see I'm no longer stuck in that stupid quarantine hotel. My two-week quarantine ended this morning. Yay. Uh, Very good feeling to uh, leave that hotel room for the first time in two weeks. Um, So now it's back to my normal life in Hong Kong. And as you can see, I'm uh, recording this actually from my apartment in Hong Kong uh, rather than my office as it is uh, now Sunday evening here uh, as I record this and uh, looking forward to getting back to my uh, somewhat normal Hong Kong life, uh, although my family remains safely in the U.S. Well, this week's lesson I am very excited about because I love the stories that we will be discussing. I think they are some of the most profound, uh, some of the deepest stories that we have in uh, in the Book of Mormon. Um, and, you know, it, it's, we should start by noting that uh, as we left off last week, it, it, again, Nephi, Nephi, sorry, Moroni uh, um, seemed to think that this was going to be the end of his record as he, as he closed uh, Mormon chapter 9. He was wrapping things up. He was giving his testimony. He was sharing those things that he thought was most important. And then, much to his surprise, he, he lived... Uh, to see another day. He lived to record uh, two more books, of course, the Book of Ether and his own Book of Moroni. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is kind of an added bonus, a little more than uh, Moroni thought he was going to be able to, to give us. Um, the Book of Ether is very condensed, uh, much more condensed than uh, really any other part of the Book of Mormon. Um, and it, uh, so, so we can assume that because it is so condensed, Moroni isn't necessarily uh, as concerned about the history that, that, that he is recording. He isn't trying to give us, I mean, he gives us a bunch of names, uh, some dates kind of, or at least we can figure things out. But it's not, again, it's not the historical record that is most important here. Uh, and that can be said about the entire Book of Mormon. Again, as you know, I'm not one that gets especially concerned about uh, you know, getting the details of the historical record perfectly right. I think there's enough uh, things that have happened within the past uh, 2,000 years that, uh, you know, even if uh, Mormon and those records that he were copying from were done by the world's greatest historians, or at least the greatest historians of their time, there would certainly still be some things that uh, they probably either got wrong or uh, it's, it's impossible for us to relate to. And, and certainly it's impossible for us to, to verify. So to me, the, the idea of, you know, pouring through the record, trying to identify what is accurate, what is not accurate, what is consistent with what we understand about uh, that society and that time and what is inconsistent, uh, you know, while certainly an interesting uh, effort that is definitely worth undertaking, uh, but it's not one that I'm going to get too upset about and certainly not one that is going to to dictate whether or not I believe the book. Uh, obviously, there, there needs to be some corroboration between our understanding of the, the old world uh, in the U.S., or in the Americas, I should say, and the Book of Mormon record. But if not everything, if everything doesn't line up perfectly, I'm, I'm not at all fussed about that uh, because there's so many things that, that went on in between. And so if, I take, if we're going to take that view with the Book of Mormon, it's going to be even more so with this little Book of Ether. Because remember what, uh, what Moroni did was he took the 24 Jaredite plates discovered by the people of Limhi, and he condensed them even further um, into, you know, Mormon, we don't know how many plates he was taking or he was working with or how uh, voluminous the record that he condensed into what we have as the Book of Mormon 
uh, is. Um, but, but he certainly did a lot of condensing and a lot of editor editorializing. But Moroni did so even more uh, to a much greater degree. Uh, because here we have, you know, covering basically 2,000 years of Jaredite history. And we have it in just a few short chapters uh, that don't take up many pages uh, within the Book of Mormon. And many of those chapters are Moroni uh, giving his own editorials, uh, you know, telling us what we should understand. So again, the purpose of this record is not to focus on the history. It's not to focus on, you know, when the brother of Jared existed, not to focus on who the Jaredites were, uh, when exactly they were destroyed, uh, looking at history, trying to piece together their record. You know, we can do that, that's fun and games fine, but Moroni doesn't really care about that. Um, he clearly has an agenda. He clearly has certain points from the Jaredite record that he thinks are important, and that is what he wants to highlight to us. That is why he preserved them. He's taking 2,000 years and condensing it, so he is simply focusing on a few areas where he thinks it is most important, where he thinks there's a valuable lesson for us as the Gentiles, you know, 1,500, 1,600 years after he finishes his record, those points that he thinks that we should be focusing on. And one of those points is very clear. Moroni has just witnessed the destruction of his people. He's now about to give us a condensed version of the history of another people that were brought here by the hand of God and were summarily uh, destroyed or wiped off the land because they didn't keep the commandments and didn't keep the covenants that God had made with them. So he's giving us two examples of people to whom this has happened to. And I think the point is very clear. Moroni, who's told, he said he's, he's seen our day and he's writing for us, for us the Gentiles, those who will live on this land, this promised land, the Americas, and everyone else who wants to benefit uh, from the record. And his testimony is simple. Keep the commandments, otherwise you're going to be wiped off. If, if you've got a promised land, if you have entered into covenants with God, if you are one of those people for whom God has made promises, you had better do your part. Because if you don't do your part, you're going to be just like the Nephites who were destroyed, or just like the Jaredites who were destroyed. The record is very clear, and by you know, Moroni uh, taking this little... It really is kind of a Book of Mormon within a Book of Mormon. A very similar story of people being brought from a, uh, the old world to a promised land, uh, struggling to remember God, then eventually forgetting him completely and being destroyed. Uh, don't let that happen to you. We shouldn't let that happen to us. And we need to be careful uh, to keep our guard up that it does not. So we had better, uh, better pay attention. Um, the, the details from the Book of Ether... Uh, tend to focus on two main events. The first one is what we will be discussing today, and from my point of view, it is by far the most interesting and the most profound and the most beautiful of the events, and that is the story of the Lord bringing them to the promised land, uh, the way that the Lord uh, covenants with them, uh, speaks to the brother of Jared, um, and blesses them and brings them out, brings them safely into the promised land, delivers them to their blessings. Uh, that is the first one. And then, of course, then the second one is uh, the destruction. The time in between goes through very, very quickly. And we don't get hardly any details about those people. Uh, but we get a lot of details about the way that they're brought into the promised land and then the way that they eventually lose their promises, lose their blessings, and are destroyed. And so with that, let's, uh, let's begin chapter one. Again, we got a, a lot that we're going to cover today. Uh, a lot of really interesting things because, again, this is just an absolutely incredible account, um, and hopefully you'll you'll see that too uh, by the time we're done here. So with that, let's begin in uh, chapter 1, and we're going to begin uh, verse 1 in the book of Ether. And now I, Moroni, proceed to give an account of these ancient inhabitants who were destroyed by the hand of the Lord upon the face of this north country. So interesting here that... Uh, the same hand of the Lord who we will see plays such an instrumental part. The actual hand of the Lord. And Moroni is very careful with his language. I love, I love how Moroni uses language here. Um, he's, he's very careful in the way he says things. And he's, you know, we'll, we'll see later that the hand of the Lord goes through the veil, 
touches 16 stones and provides the Jaredites light that they can use for their journey as they travel you know, from the place that they're at to the promised land, to the presence of the Lord. That same hand that blessed them, that gave them, miraculously gave them light, eventually is the hand that wipes them out because they do not keep the commandments. And we can see here, this is something that Moroni is very focused on. To him, that's the story, that, that's the main, main focus of the Jaredite story, is the fact that these people were wiped out by the Lord because they failed to keep his commandments. Uh, so from here, uh, it goes on. Uh, Moroni tells us, he says, you know, these records, they contained the story of the creation and everything up to the flood, but I'm not going to give you that because I know that you already have that in your Bible, in the other account that you have that comes from the hand of the Jews. Um, and so Moroni doesn't bother to, uh, to repeat. So again, it shows you how clearly focused he is on a few main points, on a few main stories that he wants to make sure we clearly understand and, 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 and we get the meaning out of them, what Moroni wants us to get. And so from that, uh, we go, let's, let's uh, skip to chapter, uh, sorry, verses 34 and 35. Um, and we have two interesting characters here. We have Jared, who of course the Jaredites are named after, and we have his, his brother, whose name we are not given, uh, but he's referred to throughout the record as the brother of Jared. Uh, and let's read verses 34 and 35, paying attention to the, to the relationship, the dynamics between these two. And the brother of Jared, being a large and mighty man, and a man highly favored of the Lord, Jared, his brother, said unto him, Cry unto the Lord that he will not confound us, that we may not understand our words. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon Jared. Therefore he did not confound the language of Jared, and Jared and his brother were not confounded. So the, the dynamics here, are, 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 again, are so interesting. Uh, we're, we're told that the brother of Jared, who is the focus of this story, it's not Jared. In fact, after, after chapter 1, we don't even see any other real references to Jared, or certainly you don't have any dialogue from Jared himself. Uh, he's not the main focus. It's the brother of Jared. So, but... But as, we, uh, but as we look at what he's saying here, it's Jared that's doing, asking him. Uh, you know, one question is, why doesn't Jared himself call upon the Lord? Why is, the, why is his brother such a special character that when Jared wants a blessing from the Lord, he doesn't go to the Lord himself, he asks his brother to do it for him. And the brother of Jared is, or sorry, Jared himself is pretty specific about what type of blessings he wants here, right? He says, uh, you cry unto the Lord that he will not confound us, that we may not understand our words. This is, of course, happening at the time of the Tower of Babel, uh, as the story goes. And so he says, call unto the Lord that we'll be able to continue to understand each other. Um, and Jared does so. And uh, because of that, his people, his family are spared from the misfortune of having their tongues confused. So Jared knows to see what, seems to know what he wants, but he asks for it through his brother. Uh, so in this sense, you can say the brother of Jared serves as the mediator between his family and God. So for whatever reason, the brother of Jared, we're told, is a, a large and mighty man, highly, highly favored of the Lord. And so when his family, or when Jared wants a blessing on behalf of his family, he goes through his brother, the mediator between him and God. Now with that, let's turn back to uh, the record that we just finished, the chapter that we just finished in Mormon chapter 9, verse 21. And uh, we'll see something interesting here. Here um, Moroni tells us, Behold, I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing, Whatsoever he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted him. And this promise is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. So here we have this promise that Moroni gives to us that says, if there's anything that you want, call upon the Lord. You, and you call upon God the Father, 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see here, if we take that same pattern, if you want something, call upon God through the name of Jesus Christ. We have that same method here that when Jared wants something, he calls upon the Lord through the name of his brother, through his brother. And interestingly, it's through his own name, but we don't know the name of the brother, so it's just the brother of Jared. So what I'm saying here is one way to view the brother of Jared is he is the mediator through which his family receives blessing. He stands between his family and God, taking the prayers of his family, the righteous desires of his family, and communicating them to God. In this way, the brother of Jared serves as a similitude of Jesus Christ because his family needed blessings and they went to him and said, please plead with the Lord on our behalf. Plead with God for us. You are a large and mighty man. You are the one that is highly favored of the Lord. We, for whatever reason, are not worthy to stand before the Lord and plead on our behalf. But you, because of your stature, because of who you are, being highly favored of the Lord, you can call upon the Lord for us. And we have faith that we will receive whatever it is we stand in need of if we call upon God through you in your name. So interestingly, the brother of Jared can be thought of as a mediator for his family, a similitude of Jesus Christ. But it can get even uh, even more interesting. Uh, verse 38 And it came to pass that Jared spake again unto his brother, saying, Go and inquire of the Lord whether he will drive us out of the land. And if he will drive us out of the land, cry unto him whether we shall go. And who knoweth, but the Lord will carry us forth into a land which is choice above all the earth. And if it so be, let us be faithful unto the Lord that we may receive it for our inheritance. I find this verse to be fascinating. Here you have the brother of Jared, sorry, Here you have Jared instructing his brother to ask the Lord for his behalf. But his request is very specific. He doesn't say, brother, go ask the Lord how he's going to save us. Or go tell the Lord we need to be saved. He seems to know exactly what's going to happen, right? He says, go and inquire of the Lord whether he will, maybe he'll drive us out of the land. And if he drives us out of the land, maybe he'll carry us to a land which is choice above all the earth. I mean, that's a very specific. And it's exactly what happens. So I guess there's several possible lessons that we could take away. One would be, you know, be more specific in the Lord and asking for your blessings. Uh, if you want something from the Lord, don't just go to the Lord and say, uh, God help me. Uh, tell the Lord how you want him to help you. Tell him what blessings you want and that you are willing to be faithful and do everything you can to secure that blessing. That's a lesson that we'll see repeated uh, coming in the, next, uh, in the next chapter or two. But it also seems to me that Jared here is also clearly a very faithful man. A man who has received revelation and knows what the Lord is going to do to his people. He knows, it's pretty clear. He knows that the Lord is going to drive them out and bring them to a promised land. He knows that's going to happen. And part of me wonders if his asking his brother to do the asking isn't a charitable act on his part. He already knows what the Lord wants to do, but he wants his brother to have the blessing of calling upon God. He knows exactly how the Lord is going to bless his family, but he wants his brother to have that experience of getting on his knees, communicating with God, and receiving the same confirmation of the same blessing that he has already had. And if that's right, uh, you know, I have a great admiration for Jared, and it's no wonder that uh, his people are named after him. He must have, if that's true, if I'm understanding that right, then he would have been a great leader, a charitable man, 
a righteous, loving man, but also one who was not happy just for himself to receive spiritual blessings and learn to know God, but he wanted his family to do it well as well. And so he said to his brother, brother, go ask the Lord, see if this is what's going to happen. And of course, that's exactly what was going to happen. So, uh, you know, several great lessons that we can take away here from the dynamics between uh, Jared, uh, again, this, this righteous man who received revelation from the Lord and knew uh, what the Lord wanted, and his brother, who also a righteous man, uh, an incredible holy prophet, full of faith, as we'll see in the coming chapters, uh, who was in some ways guided and coached by his brother. I like to think of it as probably his big brother, since he's the one whose name we have. Uh, his brother telling him uh, what he should pray for, opening his eyes, helping his brother understand what the possibilities are, helping his brother to see how the Lord is going to bless us and bless our family if we will remain faithful. Uh, so interesting, we don't hear anything more about Jared after this. Now the record turns to uh, almost solely to the brother of Jared as he journeys with his family, uh, probably because his brother of Jared is the one that's actually uh, recording the uh, account. So you know, one, one reason uh, possibly that we don't know his name and it's given to us as being the brother of Jared uh, is, is great humility uh, on his part. He didn't want him to be the focus. He, he recognized the, the, the great man that his brother Jared was and wanted uh, his name uh, recorded and his name kept in the record. Because uh, Moroni tells us that it is the brother of Jared who is incredibly mighty in writing who's, who gives us this record. Uh, so that, that's one possibility as to why uh, we have the brother of Jared instead of his actual name. Uh, but again, another idea that I think is important is that uh, as the emphasis is on brother and the brother of Jared is, is more than just a prophet, he's also a type of Christ. And so by the brother of Jared describing himself as the brother of Jared, the focus is on this is your brother who stands between you and God, who prays to you on behalf of God to secure blessings for you, to help you to get from where you are to the promised land. And it's important to always remember that when we're talking about a promised land, we should have, you know, we should have bells going off. Anytime we're learning about people being taken to a promised land, our ultimate promised land is the presence of God. Returning back to the presence of God in his celestial kingdom. That is our promised land. And so anytime we learn about people being brought to the promised land, we should uh, we should start looking for parallels between their story and our story, between what they went through and the plan of salvation. And certainly the idea that there is a brother who is a mediator, who goes before God, stands before God on our behalf, comes up with a plan, executes and carries out the plan and does everything, makes everything within the plan possible so that we can return to our promised land. Uh, the brother of Jared, I think, is a beautiful similitude, a type of Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's go to chapter 2. <clears throat> and uh, so, so here we, we get this story, just like Lehi and his family, uh, Jared and his family, uh, including his brother, they, uh, they leave the comfort of their society, of what they're used to, and they set off through the wilderness on their way to a promised land. Incredible parallels between what this family went through and what Lehi and his family went through. Um, and so, you know, they enter into this wilderness. Um, and, you know, this is a pattern that we see not only with Lehi and his family, but really all throughout scriptures. We have people that are in a society that is comfortable to them, but through which they can no longer progress. And generally it's a society that has become wicked and has rejected God and rejected his covenant. And that represents the uh, telestial kingdom or the telestial world. And then they are brought out of the telestial world. Often they're kicked out of the telestial world into a terrestrial world, which is often a wilderness where they struggle where they can progress, 
but where they have not yet gone all the way that they need to, where they have not yet made the necessary steps, overcome the necessary challenges to enter into the celestial world, the promised land, the presence of God. So we think of uh, beginning with Adam. He was in the garden, but he could no longer progress in the garden. And so he, he fell and he entered into the celestial world. Uh, he, entered into God, uh, he entered into covenants with God and was brought forward into a terrestrial world, but eventually being brought forward into uh, the uh, returning to the presence of God. Uh, we think of Abraham as he left his home in Ur, where they were wicked, uh, engaging in idolatry and priestcraft. He left his home there, uh, journeyed in the wilderness, and was eventually brought to a promised land. Uh, we think of Moses, of course, the children of Israel being with the Egyptians, uh, representing their celestial world into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years, eventually returning to their promised land. Uh, we think of Lehi leaving Jerusalem, journeying in the wilderness and crossing the sea, eventually coming to the same promised land the Jaredites went to. Uh, we think of our early saint pioneers as they uh, left uh, their homes to join the church, journeyed in the wilderness, crossed uh, the great American plains, eventually settling into their promised land uh, in the Utah Valley. And then finally, we think of ourselves leaving behind uh, the presence uh, where we were with God, entering into this world where we journey, where we labor, where we struggle, and where we have many challenges. And then eventually, of course, we hope to, and we have promises that if we remain faithful, we will return to our promised land. We will return back to the presence of God. So this is a pattern that we see repeated all throughout scriptures, and it's an important pattern to understand because it plays out as the plan of salvation. And of course, as I'm describing this, uh, you know, those of you who have been endowed are likely thinking uh, of the temple of the endowment process in which we too progress just as all of those that we talked about uh, from, uh, fr from kingdom to kingdom, from world to world, eventually returning to our promised land, eventually returning to uh, the presence of God. And if you're thinking of the temple, don't stop thinking about it because we are going to uh, have some, learn some great things about the temple. We're going to see uh, the, the, the record of the brother of Jared is absolutely 100% a temple record. And so this pattern that we see that they are going through, uh, let's start in our mind preparing ourselves to learn things uh, about the temple. All right, so they have left and they are journeying in the wilderness. Uh, it's interesting. The Lord tells them, uh, go meet me in a valley nearby. Uh, and then he guides them through the wilderness. And then they stop uh, next to the sea. So this is playing out exactly like it played out for Lehi and his family. If you recall, they stopped by the land Bountiful and were there for seven or eight years uh, for a very long time before uh, the Lord eventually told them, okay, you've got enough here. You're rested. Don't get too comfortable. You're going to be on your way. I have a promised land. I have a place that's even better uh, than the Oasis Bountiful uh, that they had uh, temporarily settled in. And as, as we see that this is uh, exactly what happened to the brother of Jared. Uh, let's read uh, in verse 7 in chapter 2. Where it says, And the Lord would not suffer that they should stop beyond the sea in the wilderness, but he would that they should come forth even unto the land of promise, which was choice above all other lands, which the Lord God had preserved for a righteous people. So, so we see this playing out again exactly like the Lehi story. Uh, they had crossed through the wilderness and they've come by the sea and they were there and they were content, but the Lord had something better for them. I think this is an important lesson for each of us. Uh, you know, how often, I can certainly think of many times in my life in which I felt content. I felt that I was in a, in a happy spot. I felt that, uh, you know, I had, uh, I, I was where I wanted to be and life was going good for me. 
but it seems, I don't know how your experience is, but it, it literally seems like every time in my life where I start thinking to myself, okay, I can just do this for the next 10 years and I'll be happy. The Lord looks down on me and says, oh, nope, Ben, I've, I've got something better for you. Uh, it might not feel like it's better, but trust me, it's better. And eventually you will learn to see that it is better. I'm going to mix things up a little down there for you. Uh, you know, one example of that was uh, uh, before we moved to Hong Kong, my family lived in, uh, lived in Dallas, Texas. That's where I began my legal career. I was working at a large law firm there. And we were in a comfortable house. Uh, we had two kids. We had two cars, uh, you know, just enjoying the, you know, a wonderful American lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, you know, and I was feeling very content. I, we were living righteously, going to the temple. I was even teaching early morning seminary. You know, I thought things were going pretty good and that we could continue this kind of forever. And then the Lord, and then the Lord laughed at me. He said, nope, Ben, that's, this is not where I need you. Yeah, you might be doing good things there, but I got another place where I need you to do a few other good things. And uh, I ended up losing my job, ended up having to find new employment, and the employment I found was here in Hong Kong. Um, and that's where we've been for the past 10 years. Certainly not a move that we would have chosen to make by ourselves, but it was the, Lord, the move that the Lord wanted us to make. So, you know, just as the brother of Jared and his, his family uh, the Lord didn't want them, the Lord was not content with them, uh, you know, parked by the sea. He wanted them crossing the sea. He wanted them in their land of promise. And it was going to be hard to get there. It was going to be a challenge to get there. But that's where the Lord wanted them to get. Because he knew that there would be blessings in the journey and that there would be blessings awaiting them when they actually got there. And so with that, let's go to verses 10 through 12. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off. For it is the everlasting decree of God. And it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it, it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. So this is Moroni. He's taken a break from the record as he often does. And he's telling us this land that the Lord brought the Jaredites to, this land that was so important for them to arrive at that he was not content with them parking by the seashore and just enjoying whatever oasis they had found there. He had bigger plans for them in this promised land. This is a special land. This is a blessed land. And whoever is going to occupy it, you would better keep the commandments of, the God, of God, better keep the commandments of the Lord. Otherwise, he's going to find somebody else to occupy it. And this should be a stern and a powerful and a terrifying warning to everyone in the Americas who's listening to this or who is reading Moroni's record. Yours is a choice land. Yours is a promised land. You better keep the commandments. Otherwise, the Lord is going to find somebody else. And to those of you living elsewhere, you have your own promised lands, is my belief. Wherever you are can be your promised land if you will keep the commandments. Because that promised land can be a place on which you can grow and on which you can develop and on which you can obtain the blessings that the Lord has in store for you. And as we see the church spreading across the earth, as we see temples in more and more places, there are more and more places than ever before that are promised lands, that are places where you can receive all of the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all things that are necessary to prepare yourself and your family to return to the Lord's presence. So warning to each of us, We'd better keep the commandments of God. Otherwise, we will not inherit the land. We will be wiped off. 
we will not be able to return to the presence of God. We will be left with something far inferior. Verses 13 and 14. And now I proceed with my record. For behold, it came to pass that the Lord did bring Jared and his brethren forth even to that great sea which divideth the lands. And as they came to the sea, they pitched their tents and they called the name of the place Moriancomer. And they dwelt in tents and dwelt in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. And it came to pass at the end of four years that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared and stood in a cloud and talked with him. And for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared and chastened him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay. Well, first I'll say it's our understanding that Moriancomer uh, is probably the name of the brother of Jared. Uh, that's what was revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, Bruce McConkie would frequently refer to the brother of Jared as Moriancomer in, in his writings. So it's a good chance that that's, uh, this is the brother of Jared's humble way of, or Moroni's humble way of kind of sneaking his name in there while also, you know, trying to uh, remain uh, something less than uh, the most important figure uh, that, of course, he ends up playing. Um, but, so, with that, I think it's interesting, uh, this, this story here. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that the brother of Jared actually forgot to pray for four years. Um, we see this man who had such a beautiful relationship with God that whenever uh, his family needed something, they would come to him and say, pray to the Lord on our behalf. I have a hard time believing that just for four years, he was like, I don't need prayer. I'm good now. I, my understanding, my belief into what happened was the brother of Jared and his family, they got by the seashore, they got too comfortable, and they stopped trying to progress. They stopped asking the Lord what would you have me do? They stopped asking the Lord, what more is necessary in order for me to progress, in order for, for me to obtain my next blessing? I think it's possible that they got by the seashore. They knew that the Lord said he was going to carry them to a land of promise. Heck, they didn't even bother to make a permanent establishment here. If we look at verse uh, 13, uh, they, they stayed in their tents. They didn't build buildings. They knew this was temporary. But at the same time, I think they looked at the, at the vast ocean and they said, the, really? Our promised land is on the other side of that thing? How in the world are you, do you expect us to get there? All right, let's just sit here and wait for the Lord to tell us what to do. And the Lord's response is, finally, he came down and told the brother of Jared, why are you waiting for me? Get to work. Let's do this. You need to get to that promised land. And when it says that he stopped calling upon the Lord, that is my belief as to what that means. He stopped asking the Lord, what is next? What do you want me to do to improve? He got a little too comfortable. And of course, that's the, a great lesson for each of us. As you know, we, we all go out of our way, spending hours each day, working, trying to accumulate wealth, trying to do what we can to make our lives comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we don't forget to ask the Lord, what is next? What more do you want me to do? What is the next thing that, that, that I need to do in order to progress, in order to prepare myself to return to your presence? And that is what we should be asking the Lord. And that is what it seems like the brother of Jared forgot to continue asking the Lord. But the Lord came down and said to him, all right, it's time now. I don't know why you didn't pay attention or keep asking me these last four years for, for what the next step is, but if you're not going to ask, here it is. I'm going to tell you what it is. And of course, he already knew what it was. He knew that the Lord wanted them in a promised land. He knew that the, he knew that the promised land was on the other side of that ocean. He just didn't know how to get there. And Rather than asking upon the Lord, rather than moving forward with it, he was content to stay in his tent uh, on the beach rather than starting to build his barge. And so, uh, and so the Lord chastens him and uh, tells him to, to get going. Uh, the Lord forgives him, um, tells him to start building the barges because they've got an ocean to cross. And so he starts building these barges. He builds them, he says they're tight like a dish so that no air and no water can get in. But as he moves forward, 
you know, and this is a great lesson in faith here. The Lord says, you're going to have to cross the ocean. And he says, okay, fine. I'll start building these barges uh, similar to the barges that I've built before because this is, this is what I know to do. Uh, but then he realizes that his way of doing things, the things that he knows to do, have, uh, have some problems. First is that there's no air. And then the second is that there's no light. So he comes to the Lord with these problems. And, and we, I think we're probably familiar with which the, way the, the way in which the Lord uh, helps him overcome these problems. The first is he says, okay, no air problem. That's an easy one. Plug a hole in the top, put a hole in the bottom, get some plugs. When you come out of the water, unplug it. When you go under the water, plug it back up and you will be protected. And the Lord reminds them, he says, because you're going to be deep in the water. Because there's going to be some scary moments. There's going to be some tough times. So yeah, I'll help you with that. Let me tell you how to get through this problem. Brother Jerry's, oh, thank you, thank you. All right, great. But Lord, what about the no light thing? And I love what the Lord does here. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a problem. Mm, yeah, big problem. What do you want me to do? You tell me how you're going to fix it. Uh, great lesson here. Uh, verse 25. And behold, I prepare you against these things, for you cannot cross this great deep, save I prepare you against the waves of the sea and the winds which have come forth and the floods which shall come. Therefore, what will ye that I should prepare for you that ye may have light? when ye are swallowed up in the depths of the sea. So I'm getting emotional because I think it, all of us at some point in our lives are going to be in the depths of the sea. We're all going to have the waves crashing around us and we're all going to feel like we don't have any light. And at those times, how do we respond? Do we respond by saying, oh, he's not there, he doesn't care about me, he's forgotten about me. Or do we respond by saying, well, if he really cared about me, he would tell me what to do. I think oftentimes the Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to say, yeah, that's a problem. Tell me how I can help you and I'll do it. But I've given you your agency and I expect you to use that agency. Don't come to me with all of your problems. Come to me with your solutions and I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll figure these things out together. And taking that to the atonement, we can't go to the Lord expecting him to do everything for us. If we want grace, we have to do our part. We have to qualify for it by having faith in him, by developing that relationship with God that we can go to him. Just like Jared commanded his brother, we go to the Lord and say, hey, this is what I think is going to happen. Work with me, Lord, so that it does. And if it's a righteous design and it's the will of the Lord, we'll know as we move forward. And if there's something wrong with it, the Lord will help us, the Lord will guide us, the Lord will tweak us and make it so that we can cross those oceans together. But we can't expect to passively sit back and let the Lord do all the work. We have to go forward doing our part, acting in faith, because that's what faith is. And at the end of the day, getting to the promised land is really impossible without the journey. The journey is an essential part of the plan of salvation because it's on the journey that we qualify for the land that we're journeying to. And so without those experiences, without those faith building opportunities, without learning to call upon the Lord, it's hard to see how we're actually going to make it to the promised land. So with that, we move to chapter 3. And I love chapter 3. So the brother of Jared goes to the top of the mountain and prepares 16 small stones. And with that, your brain should be thinking temple, temple, temple. Because every time we hear about a prophet going to the top of the mountain, we can expect to learn something about the temple. And his solution is he prepares these 16 stones and while he's at the top of the mountain, while he's at his temple, he asks the Lord to touch each of them and make them light. He says, and I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power 
It can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them, that they may shine forth in darkness, and they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea. What a beautiful solution that the brother of Jared has come up with. And he's very specific in how he wants the Lord to help them. Touch these stones. Take this puny effort of mine. Take this dirt that I have prepared, Lord. These rocks. These pieces of earth. And touch them with your finger. Making them something much more significant than I could ever make them. And with my puny effort and your miraculous power, I will have light and I will be able to take my family back to your presence. The imagery there is so powerful, so beautiful. Um, and, it's interesting thing, and it's interesting to note that in verse 3, we didn't read this, but he refers to the rocks here as these things. Behold, these things which I have molten out of rock. And we'll see these things, interestingly, is an idea that Moroni captures and uses to describe the Nephite record throughout. This is an idea in an interview, a fascinating interview that I saw with Rosalind Welch uh, on the Maxwell Institute. If you go to YouTube and search Maxwell Institute Ether, uh, you'll find Rosalind Welch's interview. And so this is her idea. I certainly can't take credit for it, but I think it's so beautiful. <clears throat> Moroni uses the concept these things elsewhere to discuss the Nephite record. Moroni 10.3. And when ye shall receive these things, right? So I think the message here is one that Moroni, who is taking this record that he has graven on plates that he made out of the earth, <clears throat> that he laboriously prepared, and on them he encarved his record and his father's record. And now he brings them before the Lord and he says, Lord, take these things and touch them with your finger that anyone who receives these things can have your light because they are all going to go on this difficult journey of mortality and they are going to need that light. They are going to need the record which is in these things and they are going to need that record to be a light for them. I think that's what he's doing here. And so just as Moroni is pleading with the Lord to take these, his simple effort that he has prepared from the earth to become a light for us, so too did the brother of Jared before him plead with the Lord to take his simple effort, the things that he took out of the earth, and touch them with his finger to provide light for his people. Uh, a beautiful parallel here. And then in verse 6, we start to get this amazing miracle. And it came to pass that when the brother of Jared had said these words, Behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil was taken from off the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. And it was as the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood. And the brother of Jared fell down before the Lord, and he was struck with fear. So stay with me here. We have the Lord's hand piercing through the veil to touch the stones that the brother of Jared has prepared so that they will emanate light and provide light for his family so that they can cross this ocean, this journey, these challenges that they're going to get caught up in the deep. They're going to have waves crashing upon them. They're going to have all types of challenges, but they will have light through this journey because the Lord stretched his hand through the veil and touched these things. This 
is, those of you that have gone through the temple, this symbolism should be powerfully clear to you of the Lord stretching his hand through the veil, touching these things, touching the stones, touching the record, touching you and me so that we can have the light, so that we can have the knowledge that we need to get through the journey of mortality because that is what the endowment is. It is the Lord endowing us with the light and the knowledge that we need to make it through our journey to return to the presence of the Lord, to return to our promised land. Now, why did the brother of Jared fall down when he saw the hand of the Lord? We knew he had faith. We knew that he knew God before. He had with, spoken with him before. The Lord had come down in a cloud and chastened him for three hours. So why was he so afraid when he saw that the Lord had a hand? I think it's because God's nature at that point was revealed to him. And it came very close to home. And it was more familiar than he thought it would be. He falls down because he didn't know that the Lord had a body like his. God's nature was revealed to him and it was very familiar, perhaps too familiar, in the same form that he himself as a mortal was in. In other words, it's easy to believe in God when he's this cosmic being with all power that controls heaven and earth. You know, I think of the, the genie when Jafar gets a hold of him that's, you know, spinning the planets around in his fingers. It's easy to believe in that type of a God. When that type of a God tells you to do something, you don't ask any questions. But that's not the type of God that the brother of Jared saw. He saw a God that looked like him. And this was the same God that was going to lead him across the ocean. This was the same God that was going to, that he was putting his life and his own, his family's life in danger in order to please, to lead them to a promised land. I think one of the reasons the brother of Jared fell down in fear was not because he feared God, though certainly he did. But, but I think part of it might have been because he feared that this type, whether this type of God was really capable of doing everything that he said he would. He feared that God was too much like him. He feared that this type of God would have more expectations of him because this type of God was familiar to him. It was like him. He saw his own potential. He realized that he had to do better. His true relationship to God at that moment was revealed to him. And God was not this cosmic being with all power. God was familiar. God was his brother. God was like him. And that can be terrifying. You know, certainly we can apply that to, to our own lives as we interact with, with others and as we interact with God. As God comes down and touches us, those interactions can get very, very personal. And that can be terrifying because we realize that God is like us, or I should say we are like God. We are created in his image. He is familiar. He is family to us. And if, since we have to trust him, that can be a terrifying realization. And that's what the brother of Jared learned. Uh, and then as we continue then with this, with this process, uh, verses 13 and 14. And when he had said these words, behold, the Lord showed himself unto him and said, behold, because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall. Therefore, ye are brought back into my presence. Therefore, I show myself unto you. Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have life and that eternally. Even they who shall believe on my name and they shall become my sons and daughters. So these verses followed an interesting, almost a negotiation uh, between the brother of Jared and God. Where God said, why did you fall down? 
I fell down because I saw your finger. Oh, you didn't know I had a finger? Yeah. Can you show me more? I love how bold the brother of Jared is here. He has faith, but he also, I mean, he, he fears God, but he also has faith. He, know God, he knows God love him, loves him. And so he wants to see more. He realizes that he was too easily satisfied before. And now he wants to see God and he sees God. And here in verses 13, the Lord tells them that because he has seen God, because he has come to know who God is, he is redeemed from the fall and brought back into the presence of God. And again, brothers and sisters, this is the endowment. The endowment is the process of preparing ourselves to return to the presence of God. It is knowing God. It is understanding God. It is recognizing who God is. Because the endowment is learning all that we need in order to return to the presence of God. And a big part of that knowledge is knowing God's nature, is knowing who he is. It's knowing that he is not some cosmic force out there that you know plays with us and does whatever he wants to. It's knowing that God is our father. And it's knowing that we have heavenly parents who love us. And it's knowing that they sent their son, Jesus Christ, our big brother, to die for us, to be our mediator, to interact with God on our behalf, to prepare the way so that we can cross this ocean of mortality and return to the presence of God. The endowment is understanding that knowledge and with that knowledge, preparing ourselves to return to his presence. And then verses 19 and 20. And because of the knowledge of this man, he could not be kept from beholding within the veil. And he saw the finger of Jesus, which when he saw, he fell with fear, for he knew that it was the finger of the Lord. And he had faith no longer, for he knew nothing doubting. Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore, he saw Jesus and he did minister unto him. And so as we exercise our faith and as we come to know God, which when which that knowledge, when it's combined with our faith, gives us the knowledge of all things as the brother of Jared has. It's not, it's not the fact, it's not the idea that faith supersedes knowledge, but it's faith leads us to knowledge. And then as we keep that knowledge and combine it, and as we keep that faith and combine it with our knowledge, then we can know all things just like the brother of Jared did. And that is the lesson that Moroni wants us to get from this story. Exercise faith. And as you do so, the nature of God will be revealed to you. And once you know the nature of God, if you continue faithful in him, if you keep his commandments, then you can return to the presence of God. You can inherit your promised land. These blessings and covenants and promises that are yours will be yours forever. And you will not be wiped off. You will remain in the presence of God because of your faith, which leads to knowledge. And when those two things are added together, you can know all things and return to the presence of God, just as the brother of Jared did. Being redeemed from the fall, Overcoming that separation. Remember, that's what the fall is. It's a separation of us from God. And that's what death is. Death is separation. And how do we overcome that separation? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then through that atonement of Jesus Christ, we can gain knowledge of him. We will learn of him. He will no longer be foreign to us. He will be familiar. We will come to know him. And as we come to know him and continue to exercise faith in him, not being scared off by the knowledge that we have of him, but as we combine our faith to the knowledge that we have gained through our faith, we prepare ourselves and are made ready to return to the presence of God. Moving on to chapter 4, Moroni stops their story here to make sure that we understand the lesson. And that's verses 11 and 12 in chapter 4. 
But he that believeth these things which I have spoken, him will I visit with the manifestations of my spirit, and he shall know and bear record. For because of my spirit, he, he shall know that these things are true, for it persuadeth men to do good. And whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do good is of me, for good cometh of none, save it be of me. I am the same that leadeth men to do all good. He that will not believe my words will not believe me, that I am. And he that will not believe me will not believe the Father who sent me. For behold, I am the Father, I am the light, and the life and the truth of the world. So again, we see this phrase, this phrase here of these things. He that believes these things. He that believes this record, this testimony, this knowledge, this revelation of Jesus Christ. Because remember, that's what the Book of Mormon does. Just as the brother of Jared obtained a revelation of the knowledge of the nature of God, so too does the Book of, Mor Book of Mormon bring to light that same knowledge of the nature of God, of God's connection and his covenant with his people in all places, of a loving father who loves us and desires nothing more than to bring us back to his presence. And that is where we will go if we will exercise faith in him and if we will receive him in the, through the knowledge of him in the Book of Mormon. So in the same way that because of the faith of the brother of Jared, the Lord touched the stones to give light to the Jaredites and reveal God to them, so too because of our faith can the Lord give light to us and reveal himself to us through the Book of Mormon. Uh, verses 17 and 18 in chapter 4. Therefore, when ye shall receive this record, ye may know that the work of the Father has commenced upon all the face of the land. Therefore, repent all ye ends of the earth and come unto me and believe in my gospel and be baptized in my name. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned, and sighing shall follow them that believe in my name. So again, the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to bring us unto Jesus Christ so that we can have faith, that we can believe, so that we can be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and return to the presence of God. Moroni is really hammering it home here. He doesn't know how much time he has left or how much more he's going to be able to say, but he wants to make sure that we are clear on his message, on what he wants us to learn from the story of the brother of Jared. And it is that the Book of Mormon is a record revealing Jesus Christ. It is meant to be a light to us, bringing us to Jesus Christ in the same way that the light of, that the Lord revealed himself to the brother of Jared, giving them light so that they could cross the ocean on their way back to the, on their way to the promised land. Uh, and let's turn to chapter 5. Very quickly, uh, Moroni just kind of almost out of nowhere uh, starts talking about uh, witnesses. And these, of course, turn to be very important witness uh, verses um, that led to uh, witnesses, uh, re the, the three witnesses, uh, seeing uh, the, the gold plates, the, the very account, the very record that Moroni had prepared. Uh, but I want to read verses 4 because... You know, we talk about the three witnesses, um, who, of course, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and uh, Martin Harris, and, you know, their faithfulness and never denying their witness, even though some of them left the church, even though some were excommunicated, they never, ever denied their witness. And, and so their witness becomes a powerful evidence, powerful testimony to us. But in chapter 5, verse 4, let's read more about these witnesses. And in the mouth of three witnesses shall these things be established, and the testimony of three in this work, in the which shall be shown forth the power of God and also his word, of which the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost bear record. And all this shall stand as a testimony against the world at the last day. So who are the three witnesses that bear record of the Book of Mormon? Well, of course, we have Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. They were three witnesses that bore record of the Nephite uh, scriptures. But the witness that Moroni is telling us that will come and he will testify 
to us, or they will testify to us of the Book of Mormon is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The three members of the Godhead, they know that the Book of Mormon is true. And if you will receive this record, if you will receive these things, if you will let the light that comes forth from the Book of Mormon, if you will let the hand of God touch this record for you, they will bear record for you. And you will know that what the Book of Mormon reveals, what the veil that is lifted by the Book of Mormon shows to those of us that receive it faithfully, is the nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Of the three members of the Godhead, they are revealed in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is a true record. And it is true in the sense that it reveals, it fulfills its purpose, and that it reveals these three gods to us. It reveals to us their nature. It shows to us our relationship with them so that we can know how we should worship them. We should know how we can understand them, giving us the revelation, giving us the knowledge, giving us the light that we need so that we can cross the ocean of mortality on our way back to their presence. I'm grateful for Moroni. I'm grateful for the brother of Jared. I'm grateful for their faith, for their experiences, and for their testimonies. And I hope that we will each receive their testimonies, that we will each receive the light that comes from the hand of God to our hearts through the Book of Mormon. And I do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.